With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish podcast. Hello listeners and welcome to the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. A very Merry Christmas to you all. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your Holly Harness host as we take a whisk through the Wolfpack's whistle stop at a welcoming White's Wonderland. Joining me, I have a quintessential Christmas cohort of festive Fulham faces, the inimitable winter wordsmith is Cam Ramsey. Love the words already, actually, Jack. Honestly, that's fantastic. <laughs> and our Yuletide YouTube sensation, Jack Kelly. Hello, how are you doing? You are right? Yeah, not too bad. How are your Christmases, lads? Oh, I'm still, I'm still, still not recovered, actually. <laughs> yeah, and it's not stopped until New Year's, personally. You just have to keep going. What about you, Jack? I was fairly quiet. I think New Year will get a little bit more noisy. Yeah, a little bit. Well, would you like to start us off in that case with our three-word reviews from the Wolves game? Yes, that's fine. I've got three here from Twitter. And um, we'll start with Matt Dallo ICO. Sorry if I've <laughs> butchered your name there. Uh, Millimeters from Glory, which I really liked. Uh, Libby at Lib Full 12, unbeaten run started, and at Aussie Cottager, very familiar feeling. Well, it was a familiar feeling. We're back in the lead and, and another game where we have thrown away a winning position and dropped points. Cam, what was your kind of overarching feeling coming out of the ground at the end? It felt like a defeat, without a doubt. It felt like a defeat, you know, to be so resolute and so compact throughout the entirety of the game and then to let that one opportunity slip. It was almost like watching Leicester City at home all over again for me. You know, it was just an impending doom feeling whenever they got onto the ball, actually. And we're just so slow at closing them down when we needed to do vitally along the channels, especially. You know, it's a lot to build on, and I'm I'm actually pretty happy with the way that we performed. But at the end of the day, you can't let those opportunities slip from your fingers when you have the chance to actually, you know, register three points against a very strong team of what Wolves are. Jack. Brian Sessegnon called it a body blow in the interviews afterwards. That was kind of how a lot of us saw it, I imagine. But would you have taken that result going into the game? Yeah, you probably would have taken a point because Wolves, albeit you know last week they lost to Liverpool, but they've been very, very good this season. Almost the outfit that we kind of wanted to be when we got promoted with them. Um, I thought we kept our shape really well when we went um, 1-0 up. It was just that lapse in concentration from Adoy. They let us down, and, and that's a disappointing uh, part of it. Well, we'll go through the game sort of play by play in a second, but just before we do that, just a reminder that Fulhamish is backed for the season by Labbrooks. For exclusive specials and promotions, please head to bet.fulhamish.co.uk. Well, let's start at the beginning, Cam. It was sluggish, to say the least, and uh, a lot of people commenting on, on both Twitter and the television that it was maybe the remnants of Christmas Day still feeling in the players' legs. Yeah, it was a bit lethargic. You're trying to get out of the blocks, especially on a boxing day, and you've got to hit the ground running. And uh, we were just slowly, slowly slipping through the gears, but then all of a sudden it seemed that we got to, like, uh, you know, 50 mile per hour, we should be at 100, and we kind of just stayed at that level of intensity. And, you know, we tried feeding them out throughout the game, and especially in the, in the first half, we were... 
we were trying our hardest to actually put them under a lot of pressure at the back, but even still, it felt like a championship game to me. You know, it was very odd. Both squads couldn't get a proper foothold into the game. And, uh, you know, nil-nil at half-time, you'd actually look at it as a positive. But once again, we were very sluggish and, like I say, quite lethargic. The biggest talking point, or the first flashpoint, shall we say, of the first half was a Dennis Adoy handball from a corner. What, what was your take on it? Uh, I, from mm. the stands, I, I was like, that's handball. And no one spotted it. And you could see the Wolves players up in arms about it. But, yeah. but nothing happened. I was, I was, well, we got away with that one. Um, yeah, that was the first real moment. And, you know, we looked really um, vulnerable from that set piece. And that, from there, Rico uh, distributed the ball, who I thought did very well at distributing the ball throughout the whole game. And yeah, Wolves started probably brighter, but then we got back into the game, didn't we? That was kind of the, you know, maybe a turning point because once Fulham kind of realised they might snap them out of the malaise, I suppose, in a little a little bit, um, Fulham then got on top and chances started to come, Cam. You start seeing more creative players actually get on the ball, you know, start uh, probing and proving that um, Wolves can be penetrated. Um, I like Seri throughout the game, actually. Somebody that picks up the ball and is always looking to spread play. And uh, I don't think we actually utilised the channels enough, but when we did, it, once again, it stretched Wolves and it made it very difficult for them to actually get back and uh, refortify their shape. So, once again, it's a galvanisation, um, especially after that you know, pretty contentious penalty shout, which you know should have actually stood because I was standing behind it as well and I was wincing as soon as Sadoy made contact with the ball, you knew it was going to be called, but we got let off the hook. And uh, that's exactly when you need to step up and you need to actually cut those mistakes out, and we did. Mitrovic had more shots on goal than any other player in any other half of Premier League football this year. Seven shots on target. Oh, sorry, seven shots, which a couple were on target. His first one was a header that sort of flew off his off the side of his head. Should he have done better? He was offside, but oh, he's offside. That's mm. why it probably didn't make the highlights because I was thinking, where has that header gone? Because that really should have been one nil if he was onside. Because well, the liner didn't spot it. So oh, really? as in he was he was on an offside. Oh, position, I see. Right, but but retrospectively. Retrospectively, yeah, yeah I thought he should have scored. It. I looked yeah. around and I was saying to my brother, I said he should have scored that. Although the ball did come at him at some pace, but um, yeah, Mitrovic was such a presence in the air all game, and and he made chances for himself, not only off other people. So it's fantastic. Mm. Well, he bullied that back line, I think, and and you know you could see almost an element of fear in them. I don't know that whether that's from last year and remembering how good Mitrovic was in that home game against Wolves, but. He really did start to sort of harry and hassle. Well, I think um, one of the things that Nuno said before the game was actually they're going to try and contain and, you know, strangulate Mitrovic and the way that he actually operates up top. But you saw him and he was such a, you know, demonstrative force and he made it so difficult for them to actually sit and, you know, squeeze him because, once again, he doesn't like to actually be hassled and hustled as a striker. He's someone that gives it back to the centre-half. And, you know, I think all of his chances, once again, was just down to pure brute force and physicality. And that's what you want to see in Mitrovic. You want to see him there and you want to see him just battling and making it very hard for anybody that comes up against him. The two kind of big chances, I suppose, came about in very different ways in some regards. The first, Cyrus Christie's sort of cross-come shot, which went wide, which was actually a really good play down the right-hand side from Fulham. And kind of the first time we've seen that interplay really link up well. Kamara was involved. Sarri was involved. And Christie was obviously released into into the box. And I've seen a couple of people commenting that he, he probably should have crossed it, but I'm, I'm not completely sure that that's the right move either. Yeah, it's one of those ones where he's probably seen Mitrovic come at the back post. So in retrospect, it looks like he's trying to find him, but actually he's gone for goal. And if he had a little bit less pace on that shot or cross, 
Ben Mitrovic would have got the end of it. it would have been one 0 I feel from that acute angle as well. As a, you know, he's a fullback by trade. It was like seeing Fredericks in that box again. Mm. The way they actually got up the pitch and made it, you know, so difficult to hit the byline. But when you fist the ball across the six yard box, it can go anywhere if your striker gets on the end of it. So I've, I feel it was actually pretty proficient and efficient work from Christie. It was just agonizing, unlucky that Mitrovic wasn't there to put it and divert it in the back of the net. And the other the other chance was pretty much all of Mitrovic's own making. <laughs> he, you know, Harry's hassles, wins the ball in the box from what was actually quite a poor cross mm. from, from Joe Bryan. And he does so well to beat dude defenders, but he has to score. Yeah, with an on-rushing Rui Patricio as well. He's, uh, you know, that's what his bread and butter is. He's always there to stifle a striker's opportunities. But, you know, it's the way that Mitrovic just jinked his way through into the box as well. We don't see enough of that with him. A little bit more of an intricate side to his game. But he's so deadly and such a, you know, a, a lethal prowess in front of the target. You'd expect him to put it into either corner. And I was actually, I was primed to celebrate. And I was primed to go mm. absolutely mental as well in the Hammersmith end. Did he think it too much did he think it to try and go across the keeper when actually mm. all he needed to do was kind of just prod it in at the near post once he beats the first man he should shoot he doesn't need to take that extra touch mm. uh, and by the time he, he takes that extra touch with uh, Rupert Trisha's right in his face and, and he doesn't really get a shot off or or a decent shot off because he's right there to is it very it. similar in that I suppose in that regard to the Newcastle chance in the, in the last minute where you know that ball comes across to him he tries to go around one defender and by the time <clears> he actually takes that shot on there's enough time for yeah. defenders to yeah. recover is that confidence you know, a striker taking one too many touches in front of goal to set himself. You could, yeah, it's just overthinking. Sorry. You, you could argue that it's tentativeness, though. You know, a striker's primary objective is to put the ball in the back of the net regardless. I mean, if you get a clear opportunity on goal, shoot and put it into the net. Um, yes, he can beat a man. He puts them on their on their asses as well at the same time. But we also need him to be a little bit more ruthless when he's placed in front of, you know, the targets, which he was, especially against Newcastle and Wolves. So... You know, if that actually went in, I think the complexion of the tie would have been a lot different against Wolves and going into the break at half-time, one they were up, yeah, tails, tails are up and, you know, there's wind in your sails as well. You felt a little bit like at that first half, we should have scored, we should be ahead here mm. and is that going to come back to bite us? And we'll talk about the second half in a second, but I just want to come back to Andre Scherler. And, and Scherler's a player that obviously divides opinion and, and over the last few weeks in, in this studio especially, I, I know that he's been a, he's cut a frustrating figure, shall we say. But in the first half, I thought he was quite good. He, you know, had that moment where he actually started running off Mitrovic. He was kind of involved in the build-up play. He wasn't just shooting from anywhere. His link-up play was quite good. And I was like, okay, Maybe we've seen a new Andre Scherler, and suddenly in the second half, it was business as usual. Yeah, it's it's weird because he offers so much. You know, his throughout his career, he's offered so much coming in from the left and in from the right, and he's got a fantastic shot on him. But what frustrates me is that his work rate, he's he's not willing to do the sufficient work rate of of his position. So when when they're attacking Wolves. I don't feel as though he's putting in the legs to get back and, and do do the help at the back. But going forward, he's fantastic. But you need both sides to it too, Shella. Yeah, Cam. Well, we are being getting slammed on Twitter, actually, because I don't personally feel that Andre Scherer is the strongest player that he can be. Yes, he actually linked up well with the players that were around him and uh, he made a few decent opportunities and played Mitrovic in a few times. But, you know, you're, what do you expect from Scherler? Is he actually an inverted forward? Is he a winger? I don't, I don't actually know what his core responsibility is. So, yeah, defensively, he's very frail and very fragile and he's quite exciting on the break. But there's also times where he makes you absolutely howl with despair because you're watching him chase after innocuous balls and passes and he just looks like such a jaded figure when he actually, you know, when he should be putting the full back on, you know, once again on the, on, on their hill. Um, 
I personally just felt that yesterday wasn't his best performance at all, and that's what I've got to say about it, really. No more Andre Sherrill to talk from me, basically. Fair enough, Cam. Well, we went into the second half, and it was a different Wolves that came out. I don't think we touched the ball pretty much for the first 20 minutes of the half. And then, absolutely, against the run of play, we scored. And, And that doesn't happen to us very often. No, and it was almost like watching Fulham of last season, but it wasn't Fulham that had the ball, it was Wolves, and we were just getting dominated, and uh, their cross-field balls were, were just fantastic, as opposed to ours that just kept going out of play. Um, no, Wolves played very well, controlled the ball, Moutinho in the middle was fantastic, pulling the strings, yeah. but but what I've got to give for Fulham is that we've taken advantage of a set-piece, which is huge, uh, and you've got Alfie Mawson, the back stick, who heads it across, and that's really important because when you're down at the bottom of the table, you need to take advantage of the set pieces and you can have all the possession you want in the world, but Wolves didn't actually do much with the ball up until we scored. Mm. Yeah, they were slowly turning the screw to a sense and they were trying to keep hold of possession and, uh, you know, worm their way through us and probe. But to uh, you know, our benefit, we actually stood firm in the face of all of that and held our core shape and we looked very, very, very driven to our, what we wanted to do, which was actually hold the ball and press once again. And you know, as Jack rightly said, you know, you've got to take advantage of set pieces when they come. You know, it's a bit fortuitous, really, you know, but when you've got the players in and around the box, you've got to pounce and you've got to be poised to put it in the back of the net. And even Chambers after, you know, after Sessingham actually did put it in the back of the net, he was always there to, you know, pick up the rebound as well. And you want to see that. You don't want people just, you know, letting mm-hmm. things go by them, you know. Make sure it's slammed in the back of the net. And it we'll, is. we'll come on to TC later, but but actually, as TC turns to celebrate, looks at the ref, appeals. Chambers is the one sticking the ball away, yeah. and I thought that was real, you know, good to see. It's one of those things where you know you play to the whistle. We all could see it was over the line, yeah. But at the same time, you know, you know how quickly that ball is moving. You don't know what's going next. He's the one that reacted and gone right, mm. stick that home, and make sure that this is uh, very much going to be our day. And and he did that. It's. Strange though, Sessignon obviously scores the goal, but what he talked about when he was in his post-match interview was how compact we were second half and how how the defence was able to hold its shape. And actually, I thought that was a real improvement. We saw it in Newcastle, but there were chances. Really, Wolves had their goal and one other chance after the goal where you know it was very tight, and that was it. Really, there wasn't you know I know that there wasn't a shot on target in the first half, and Rico didn't have very much to do, and suddenly. This Fulham side is no longer shipping goals at will, and that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, we're restricting Wolves or, or our opponents to opportunities. Look across the last two games. I can't remember two games a season where we've conceded um, so few chances, and that's just got to be positive going forward. And if we can restrict uh, Huddersfield to chances, then we've always got a chance to get three points. Yeah, it's, it's the way we set up with you know three sitting centre-halves and two mobile full-backs. So you're always going to be able to absorb a lot of pressure and uh, with the players that we've got at our disposal, they're they're not necessarily the most uh, you know steadfast players defensively, but they always do the hard work when it's required. So, you know, in terms of shape and um, you know being uh, resilient in our work defensively and in midfield and actually pressing and squeezing, yeah, I was happy with yesterday, barring the goal. You know, we conceded the course. It was a very strange moment, I think, for me when when Sarri went off and McDonald came on. At that point, I think Fulham completely lost their shape. And, it, you know, you look at you look at it and I understand what's going on in Ranieri's mind. He's brought on another sitting defensive midfielder to protect the back four. But actually, it left us with very few options, especially with Kearney on for AK-47 at that point. Mm. We didn't have any pace on the break. Sessignon was our kind of only outlet at this point, apart from, from Mitrovic sort of winning aerial duels. And it invited pressure onto us, I thought, which is where the goal comes from. And it's just slack marking from Adoy and Christie. 
it's it's a weird one because yeah, Adoy should be paying attention if you watch the match of the day highlights. Yeah. Um he should be yeah, to his man, to Caviero. But that goal actually could be very easily avoided even after when the ball comes in. If Joe Bryan gets a bit of contact on that ball, because he just slips on the ball on the line and that's when Saiz puts it in. If he just whacks it clear on a different day, it could have ended 1-0 or it could have been prevented, which is so, so frustrating. Yeah, I saw a few people blaming Joe Bryan, but I didn't I didn't feel that that was maybe the uh, the, the answer at that point. No, um, you know, he's, he's obviously trying his hardest to get himself into the flight of the ball. And you're right, you know, you look at it now in hindsight, that one little flick over this over the leg could have actually prevented the goal. But it starts a lot, you know, earlier than that, of course. You know, we were just so slow and stagnant trying to close them along the channels. And, you know, we talked about an intensity in Fulham's game which lacks when we're trying to get back defensively. And Kearney just doesn't have that in his locker. He's creative as he is and, you know, he's our captain supremo. However you want to label him. He doesn't have that much defensive dexterity in him at all, and that ultimately hindered us along that side of the of the pitch as well when the ball was played in because we just weren't closing them and pressing. From that moment onwards, it did actually only look like there was going to be one winner, but it was us that managed to create the chance. Actually, having absorbed all that pressure, three or four shots on goal from from Wolves, and suddenly it was us in at the other end. It was Mitrovic in at the other end, and it's so close. <laughs> It's so close. And I know it takes a lot of deflections. And I know that if Cody doesn't clear it, I think probably Willie Bolly does. But it's still, you know, as we said, millimetres from from glory. And it's so tough to take. That that chance almost sums up the Premier League and how it's fine margins between one point and three. And it's, yeah, you know, it was rolling. It was rolling. It was like, is it going to go in? Is it going to go in? And kind of just lost hope because it was cleared away. And um, no, brilliant though from Mitrovic because that just comes from a long ball from Rico. He's chasing it. There's, I think, two or three Wolves defenders on him. Mm. And he still manages to get the chance away. Uh, and it takes a deflection. So, you know, even if Mitrovic got the tiniest bit more power in his shot, it could have been a goal. But it's the way of the world, isn't it? He said afterwards he could have taken 100 shots and it wouldn't have gone in. <laughs> he seemed a, he got a very frustrated figure. He said it was just one of those days. That's what you come to expect from Mitrovic, though. He's, uh, you know, he's a real professional when it comes to his uh, standing as a striker. And I actually agree. I mean, it's such great centre-forward work from him. I mean, that is old-school football, isn't it? You know, a long, humped ball up the pitch, you know, dire straights, just a lost opportunity to get the ball in the back of the net. And uh, he made Wolverhampton's defenders look foolish throughout the entirety of the game yesterday, and he did so then. But, you know, you're right. You can look at it now and you can say, and you can try and tribulate about the opportunity itself. But that little bit more garland is finished. Yeah, we would have won that game 2-1 without a doubt. Is what we have to look at now is, is really starting to move on. We go into Huddersfield on Saturday. It was always a must-win game, but given that they've now slipped below us in the table and that we are three, four points from getting ourselves back into that mix and right back you know, on level pegging with those teams around us, it would do some wonders for the goal difference, all the things that we basically need. So we'll be talking about that after the break. Hello, I am Brad Hangeland, and when I'm not rubbing my thigh with cheese, I am listening to the Fulhamish podcast. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast where we have been discussing the Wolves game. That is now done, however, and we are moving on to talking about Huddersfield. I'm joined by Jack Kelly. You're right. And Cam Ramsey. Word up. Boys, what's the kind of motive now? Where where do you go with this team? It, it worked to a, to a large extent against Wolves, who are no means the best side in the league, but they should on paper be a better side than Huddersfield. 
do you change things? Do you keep it the same? Do you tinker the system to go more attacking? How do you work this going into the game against the only team in the league who are worse than us on paper? <laughs> I think that we should stick to this system because it seems to work. It, we're conceding less chances, as I said earlier. We're conceding less goals. Um, I think against Huddersfield, we would expect to have more possession. You wouldn't expect Huddersfield to be dominating the ball like Wolves did yesterday. Um I'd keep it and because the chances will will come from the wide areas and if we've got Mitrovic who's I wouldn't say in form, but he's very much raring to go given that he didn't score yesterday and he'll want to be proving a point. Um so the only thing I'd change is I would start Sessignon and bring off Kamara because Kamara is a, an impact player. All right, you'd you'd start Sessignon instead of Kamara. Yeah. Mm. What about you, Cam? Well, got to totally oppose that. I'd, uh, I'd actually draft out Scherler for Sessignon without a doubt. I mean, I think Kamara's actually proven himself he can be an impact player when he starts and coming off the bench this season. You know, when you look at the last two games, he's been absolutely phenomenal, and I never thought I'd say that about Kamara. Um, the way we set up, yeah, we absorb a lot of pressure. We soak up everything that comes our way, barring, obviously, the goal that we conceded, which I hate to hop back to. But I wouldn't change too much at all. If we can you know, mirror the same potency and the same work rate we did in the last five minutes or two minutes against the Wolves from the off at Craven Cottage against Huddersfield, I'll be a happy man. But it always starts very slowly for us and we've got to stamp out of our game. There is something to be said that considering we, we imagine we will have more possession against Huddersfield and, you know, they are a big unit, a big side. You know, we're not going to watch Mitrovic, I assume, bully their centre-halves in the way that he did against Wolves. Is there a call for a more technical player like Tom Kearney to come in here and, and try and pick them apart in a more rational way, suggesting, rather than the kind of pace and power that, that Kamara and, and Mitrovic offer? Yeah, you could say that because I think with Wolves, they were more compact in the, because they had the five at the back system. I think with Huddersfield, they'll play the four at the back system. Um, yeah, you could say that Kearney will probably be the one that's trying to make things happen in the middle of the park. Um <laughs> That could work. I forgot that he was even on the bench, so actually maybe I would put in Kearney. Mm. Um, yeah, if you went with Kamara down the right and Sessignon down the left, it, I feel like it's just a bit too much in terms of we need someone to bring off the bench to stretch the game. Um, I don't think Schurler will stretch the game like, like we previously said, but yeah, Kearney would work in the middle. Um, I'm not sure he'd replace him with. Would you replace Seri with him? See, I'd actually keep Seri on the pitch. I thought Seri had his best game. Yeah, yeah. At the weekend, I thought he was better Bright, at Newcastle. Since Brighton. But, oh, okay. All right, well, that's fair enough. But, as well. but in the last two games, he's massively improved. Mm, he's put himself about. He's doing the creative stuff. That ball to Sessignon in behind yeah. in the second half has gone massively underappreciated. An absolute perfectly weighted yeah. ball, and and it kind of didn't really get the the credit I think it deserved. I, I thought he was excellent again on on Saturday, and like we said, it fell apart when he went off. So I think Seri should stay. I just don't know where Kearney would fit into Ranieri's, uh, you know, strategy and blueprints at the moment. You know, I mean, since he's come on, he's played predominantly on the right-hand side and you need him behind the striker to unlock and, you know, once again, be a, be a playmaker and one of those, you know, you know, just more offensive-sided mind players. But I, I, it's a strange one. I wouldn't think of anything other than, you know, Shirley getting off the pitch for me. Kearney, I love the guy, of course I do, but... At the moment, he's just not playing himself into the squad, and he looks—he cut quite a deflated figure when he came on, actually, and he didn't mm. actually look like he had much about him at all in terms of creativity. So, I think it's the fact that he was brought on late, didn't have much time to impact the game, and we conceded when he was on the pitch. So he—he he himself didn't feel like he impacted the game at yeah. all, which is frustrating for him. Um, 
You could also maybe think that if we could go back to the four four one one, and then Kearney can sit in the hole just behind Mitrovic, that could work. I don't think at the moment we can justify moving out from a five at the back. I yeah, mean, we, you know, we, that's we've the thing. managed to. Mawson looks so much more comfortable there. We've even seen Tim Ream, you know, reassert his kind of presence. Dennis Adoy, while still not being perfect by any stretch of the imagination, is you know gr- better in that role than he is as part of a two because it allows him to, you know take the ball out to carry it and and do those kind of things and I think it's kind of mad to switch it up when we've played well in the last two games and and while we've been less creative I agree with with Kenny off the pitch is is that kind of what you sacrifice for you know a bit of solidity at the back or do you go 5-3-2 and you kind of you play a two you play Mitrovic with with Kenny sort of tight to him on the right and only try and spread play down you know you play a session in front of a joe bryan to kind of stretch the play out there and just it's kind of bank on cyrus christie being able to get an up and down the line to provide width on the right see i still think that you know mitrovic is going to be wrangled against huddersfield against the center halves but i still wouldn't tinker with the way that you know we set up against wolves and newcastle it worked so well and you know as, as offensive and dangerous we want to be on the break we've also got to remember that this is the premier league and any team out there can hurt you. So you've got to have a lot of solidity and you've got to be able to buttress in the midfield and at the back as well. So I honestly don't feel you need to change anything. And that's that's what I'm sitting on and that's what I'm standing to as well. Fair. Well, where are Huddersfield going to cause us problems? We've seen, you know, this is a big test for, for the likes of Alfie Mawson, who has been reasonably imperious in the air, especially. But now he's up against Steve Mounier, mm. Philip Billinge, you know, Schindler. Those players are big players and, and they will provide an aerial threat. We've seen Huddersfield, their long throws are a weapon, their corners are a weapon. And, and you were talking earlier, Jack, about set pieces and how they're so important mm. at the bottom of the table. Huddersfield scored their goal, obviously, against us from a corner at, yep. at the John Smith Stadium. This is huge, right? And that's where the majority of their chances came at Old Trafford yesterday. So that's something to really look out for. We've got to minimalise conceding free kicks and stuff because that's where they're going to throw men forward and, and, and try and nick a goal because they've had a few... Um, I don't know if you saw the highlights, that they had a few decent routines from corners and free kicks. Yeah. That's where the goal came from. So, yeah, you've got to be watching out for that. Alfie Mawson's been uh, a towering figure in, in, in recent weeks, so we're kind of relying on him to, to do the business for us at the back. Yeah, I mean, you have the physicality in Ream and Mawson there, especially the two big rocks and anchors. Um, the weak link for me still is a doy. You know, mm. it's not the fact of his technical ability; it's just the fact that he's very, very small compared to any other striker that's going to be out there against him. So he's got to be wary. But you know, working as a free, he's going to be someone that is going to sweep up behind the likes of Ream and Mawson, and just uh, you know, becoming a bit of a blanket in between the goalkeeper and the defence. If if they are to break, and you know, they're going to be playing with a, a lone striker, and mm. people they're going to be wanting to flick balls on. So you're going to need a little bit more. You know, a surety in the sense that you're going to have somebody that's going to be able to, you know, read everything that's coming their way. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be a difficult one for us. Uh, obviously, a very strong, staunch, physical team. But I feel if we can we we can limit them to their aerial chances and set piece chances, and you know, just be a little bit more clever the way that we approach them defensively, we'd be okay. Fair enough. Well, there's a lot of questions in in the mailbag and on email that kind of tie all of the things we've been talking about together. So we're going to take a deep dive into that. But before we do, 
The question section is now, as you know, sponsored by Putney Pies, the finest pies in the land, as you can both attest to. Oh, they are. Really, they're really they're very good. good. You can get 10% off at Putney Pies by quoting the code who ate all the pies and saying you're from Fulhamish at the checkout. Um, we'll probably be down there before the Huddersfield game. So if you fancy it, they'll be open from, I think, midday that day. And it's obviously a three o'clock kickoff. So definitely get down there. If you're coming from Putney Way and you fancy a bite to eat, it's definitely somewhere you should think about having a little stop on the way. So, questions. The first, first question, which I suppose we've kind of come to, and, and you're coming at from different points of view here, so I'm actually interested in, is AK-47 a starter or an impact sub from East FFC? Impact, because he stretches defences. You saw against Newcastle, he made two opportunities by just running at defence defences and I we probably should have scored from both those chances I think from the start I mean you saw yesterday he was he, he did another dive he I don't know if you saw it in the first half mm. he just dived and I don't know what his attitude is about but if if he just came off the bench 20 minutes to go all all you got to do is run at defences try and stretch the game then that's where you're going to see the best from AK47 starting I don't think is is a thing for him. No, I hear that, but I do feel that we start very slowly and you're going to need a bit more explosiveness offensively. So for me at the moment, and the way he's performed especially, you know, definitely start. You know, I don't see anybody else that can bring the same ferocity into attacking sense that he can. So we need him out there to start against Huddersfield. I was, I'm, I still probably would remain in the impact sub camp, but I think that yesterday's performance did a fair amount to, to, to sway doubters in, in some regards. His technical ability is still diabolical, <laughs> yeah. but but you know, like you say, we we do lack that explosivity, especially with Scherler on the pitch, who's naught to a hundred is about two and a half hours. So you know, it's very difficult to to bring that kind of you know ferocity to to your kind of pressing play without someone like AK forty seven and his kind of pace and power. So I think it's a it's a valid question, and I think that maybe the answer is it depends who you're playing. Yeah, you know, if you're playing as someone where you don't think you're going to have much possession, and you think that you're going to need players to to break quickly to to put pressure on their defense, especially when we've put the ball over the top and and chase it down, then like he did yesterday, then maybe that's the answer. But in a game against like the likes of Huddersfield, where we hope that we'll have more possession and try and control the game a little bit more. Maybe it's a more technical player, and he comes on a little bit late when legs mm. are tiring. Yeah, that's yeah. fair enough. And I would, I'd start AK forty seven at Arsenal because we need to play on the counter attack. We're going to soak up pressure. But obviously, Arsenal are a fantastic team. Uh, but this is the Huddersfield game; just isn't the game for him to start. No, in so my opinion, I, I could see the reason in that. Fair enough, and I, I accept that. Fair. Well, good, it was a good question <laughs> from East FFC, and also I like questions like that because they do, they are up for debate, and I, I think there are actually very rational arguments for both sides of this, which makes things. You know, we've had a question here. I'll, I'll show you one, which I think you might agree on. Ken says, should bets come back in? No. 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 Rico's been fantastic. I thought it was like a trick question. Why would he come Well, he back could in? come back in for Oldham at home. Yeah. That's well, in, yeah, in that respect, and yes, he's coming back for Oldham, but why would you want to draft Rico out of the squad? He's Rico's been, been terrific. Been fantastic. And you're looking for that kind of keeper. He's such a galvaniser at the back. So, no. No. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Nathan Vince says, could you play Sess as a second striker or is Kamara with his pace and power the best option in a 5-2-3? 5-2-3? Well, mm. I assume he means if we went 5-3-2, brought, brought Kearney back in as the kind of 10 and then used the fullbacks for width, yeah. would Sess be the option as second I, striker because he you know, covers yeah. ground? He's, we know about his finishing ability. It's something we haven't explored, I suppose. Sess is better on the ball than AK, so I would have the physicality of Mitrovic alongside 
someone who can run off like Sessegnon, who can put the chances away or hopefully put the chances away. Um, that goal will do him a wonder, uh, world of confidence. So, yeah, if we went down that route, that's what I'd like to see. Personally. Yeah. No, he's got an intricacy in his play and we know how devastating he can be in the uh, penalty area if he is to pick up a loose ball from Mitrovic if it's uh, played into him. Um, so, yeah, it could work. But if it's going to be feasible, if it's going to be plausible, that's yet to be seen. But definitely hypothetically. If you could sign one player outside the top six in the January window from the Premier League, who would it be? I'm going to I'm going to caveat this with within reason. So you can't have like Wilf Zaha because uh, it's John <laughs> Fulham or, you know, Andre Gomes <clears throat> from, from Everton. But this is from Sam Smith. I, I think this is a good question. Um, I would go, I would say that we are two thirds away from the ideal back three for the rest of the season with, with Ream and Mawson and we need one more centre-back. I don't think mm. Doyle is up for the task. Uh, so I would go with, it's unreal, it's, it's, it's feasible, but it's whether they will want to let him go. And I think that is Cabaselli from Watford. He's been absolutely fantastic this season and he was unfortunate to get injured just by colliding with the post yesterday. That's who I take. It's a difficult one, yeah. I think we need a lot of defensive cover. Um, I still feel we need somebody there to uh, push Mitrovic a little bit harder, actually. You know, somebody that can come off the bench and do the same job that he does, but keep the same kind of brawn, you know, and bullishness um, offensively. And there's not really too much to choose from, but... One player that has been banded, you know, just oddly enough, is uh, another Hornets player. Is uh, I like a Karka, and I think he can mm. bring a lot of uh, he can bring a lot of strength into our attack as well. And he's not actually short for pace either, so he's not necessarily my most ideal, but he's one that actually sprung to mind at the time. So I say Stefano Akarka yeah, offensively. Nice. We were close to signing him last season. Yeah, we were really close, and then it didn't happen in the end. Ended up signing Mitrovic. Yeah, when well, Mitrovic came instead. Yeah. But, you know, they, they, I suppose that is suggestion that they are kind of foil for each other. And mm. yeah, I, I, don't like, I don't mind that suggestion at all. Thank you. The one that I like that we've been linked with is uh, James McCarthy from Everton. Mm. Yeah. And who once coined the phrase, James McCarthy was covering ground before N'Golo Kante made it cool. <laughs> and I think that he'd be a really lovely addition. You know, Chambers has done really well there. I think the series in there. But, you know, yesterday... If you bring on someone like McCarthy instead of McDonald, Donald, yeah. who mm. has the legs and the ability to drive between boxes if you need him to, but also is defensively sound, then you don't lose that game. Is he still at Everton? He's still at Everton. So he's not getting game time? He hasn't getting games. He's Get a typical in. industry midfielder, isn't he? He's just good at everything that comes with you know the whole point of being a midfielder. It's been a conservative... Um, Catalyst and also being an offensive marksman as well. So we just yeah. need, I think also we need leaders, right? And at this point, having someone of that kind of ilk who who's been there, seen there, seen it, done it, and and has played at international level, mm. at top Premier League level, and and has been through all these things, I think that would add depth and experience to the squad. Well, if we had the choice between Drinkwater and Macarthur, I would take. I'd actually go McCarthy. Yeah, because uh, I just do. I don't think Drinkwater's. Yes, he's played under Ranieri, but. You know, he's he's probably lost all his confidence from sitting on the bench at Chelsea. I don't think we're going to sign Drinkwater. I think this no. is a, a rumour that's kind of been concocted by the idea that he's not playing and he once played for Ranieri. Yeah. Kind of stemming away from the whole uh, outside of top six agenda. But yeah, there's a lot of Chelsea players that have been uh, kind of banded within the full and potential uh, a triple bracket. Sweep. Yeah. Which I find, you know, Victor Moses, no. 
wouldn't have Victor Moses. I wouldn't mind Victor Moses. I would have him. Personally, he's one of the worst, you know, right wing backs wingers I've seen live. And I watched Chelsea versus Atletico Madrid last season in Champions League, and he was such a devoid, distant player throughout that he, game. And that set the tone for me. Regardless of what he's done in the past, he was absolutely diabolical. I think, so, I think no. under Conte, when they had the five at the back system, he was the integral right back or right wing back. And yeah. I thought he probably had his best football. He played his fo- best football there. Whether he can rediscover that form, but I reckon he goes back to Palace. You know, he started at Palace, he might just end up at Palace. Not a bad show. I suppose while we're on the topic, and these aren't questions now, but they are just sort of things, we've been linked with Antonio Candreva mm. of Inter Ooh. Milan. Thoughts on that one? <laughs> I only know him from FIFA, really. <laughs> <laughs> so I, don't, I don't watch too much Serie A, but I know he's he's decent right winger. Um, if he's got decent attributes then um, yeah give him a go he, he might cost a fair few quid though he has an impact but he's also a player that's kind of uh, fritted in and out of form recently as well hence why he's being linked with Fulham um, <laughs> so I wouldn't be adverse to taking him at all whether it be a loan move or a permanent move but you know that also comes with substantial question marks looming over his form and exactly what he's going to bring to our fold so what do you make of it Jack? I think right. one of the, the interesting things about Candreva is that he can play right wing back or he could play wide in a front three, which is probably something that we need. It's a little bit more versatility, players that can kind of do a job off the bench in more than one position. And and we do lack depth. Uh, mm. If we're going to play five at the back, we do lack depth in the wing-back positions. You know, Fosu Mensah's gone in that old cupboard where, uh, <laughs> you know, the likes of the likes of Larnell Cole and, and Jordan Graham lived for a while. And they're not so getting I, out. I don't think we're going to see Fosu Mensah again in a Fulham shirt. I imagine he's going to go back to United in the window. So, you know, that one doesn't seem to have worked out, but it does free up a spot if that happens to, to take another loan in. And I'd be interested. Kandrova is someone that I think is, you know, a decent player and, and has had... Yeah, really bright sparks in his career. And yes, you're completely right on his form and it's a little bit out at the moment. He hasn't been playing, but Inter are a good team and everyone kind of forgets that because they haven't had a couple, a good couple of years. You know, they were, they were, should, should have qualified for the last 16 mm. of the Champions League. This isn't a team that, you know, I might make it messing about. And yes, they had a bad result and yes, they got pipped to the post, but ultimately they, they've done quite well this season, not necessarily domestically, but in Europe and, I think taking a player of that caliber would only be a good thing for yeah. Fulham. Okay. There's a question here from Instagram, Rogue. But <laughs> I, I remembered George Rossiter put this in earlier, and it's a long question. He says, What do you think is the most important thing that's made us look better recently? And therefore will be the most important to keep these better performances going forward. Do we think it's the shape, the back five, which seems a lot more solid over the last two games, or having a consistent spine of our best players, Rico, Mawson, Seri, and Mitrovic? Or is there something else, Jack? I'd say the back five because that's what Ranieri came in to fix, which was the defence. And now we, after a bit of tinkering, uh, to use a phrase, we now actually have something solid, which is the back five. And, you know, I've said it before, we've seen it at Newcastle and we saw yesterday, there's much improvement. There was a much Im- more improved two performances that I've, I've personally taken confidence from. Yeah, no, I, the back five especially, I agree with you, Jack, without a doubt. I also think another factor towards the way that we performed and how solid we've looked and how we've actually been is having Chambers just being in, you know, an absolute bull in the midfield and getting about and doing his defensive work whilst being a little bit more of a, you know, a, a playmaker and a reducer in that sense as well. So 
there's a whole you know there's a, there's a whole kind of a you know catalog of reasons why we've improved seemingly in the last couple of games but yeah I'd definitely say in that respect the, the shape going to a back five and for me personally it's just having Callum Chambers out on the field he's been an absolute phenomenon what do you think about leadership something that I, I've tweeted about and, and and hasn't necessarily come to light so much is that what I saw was after the huddle mm, I saw this. Mitrovic and Mawson took a moment aside to kind of talk to each other gave each other a hug shouted at each other for a bit and then went off to marshal mm. their respective ends of the pitch and I think that having leaders in this side and I think Ranieri's man management and ability to kind of bring a group together which which I'm hoping is kicking in you do you know we said about this last year when all the players were commenting on each other's Instagrams and, and while there were kind of two obvious camps last year and there weren't a, it was it wasn't a divided change room there was just two friendship groups it, it seemed there seems to be a bit more of that starting to grow back. And, mm -hmm. you know, even like Andre Scherler, who I was worried was going to be a bit of an outcast. You know, every time he poses a picture, Tom Kearney straight on there commenting on it. Mm -hmm. Joe Bryan and, and Ryan Sessignon appear to be best pals, you know, and, and kind of growing through that seems to be a kind of sense that the people are developing into this squad and Ranieri is molding that. Yeah, I mean, with so many new faces in the summer, it's always going to take time to gel, not only on the pitch, but off the pitch. And now we're starting to see that. And... That's only a good thing. And if you look at someone like Alfie Mawson, you know, he's been at Swansea. He was, I think he was captain of Swansea. Am I right mm, in saying that? That's right. Um, so obviously he's got the know-how to control a team and to like, you know, order around a team. You've also got someone like Kevin McDonald, even Scott Parker. These are people who have led. So I like the hug from Mawson and Mitrovic. They're both fiery characters, aren't yeah. they? You know, and they've both definitely got a leadership tendency in them. And, uh, you want to see those two. I, I imagine amongst the camp, they're quite predominant figures amongst the lads, especially Mitrovic. You know, I reckon he's got a right corker of a joke on him as well in the dressing mm. room. You want to see that kind of passion and impassioned sense on the pitch, and it does bring everybody together. And it, you know, I think the fans have been disillusioned with the squad this season because it, you're right, a lot of new faces come in, and it's also trying to marry that all up with the same you know mentality that got us to where we are today last season. And I think it's positive and it's certainly great to see, especially after a goal, you want to see everyone pulling in the same direction and going absolutely mental when they need to. But at the same time, if it's individual connections that come to, you know, the fold a little bit more between Mitrovic and Mawson, so be it. That's, you know, that's a strike and a defender getting mucked in. It's not like a department is away from the defensive department. The midfield yeah. all sticks together. Yeah, so it's great and positive. There's a couple more questions. There's one from Side Out Par here, which is one a great handle. But he says, long term, is there a role for both Seri and Kearney that maximises both? And for the casual fan, how do their skill sets differ slash overlap? It's difficult because both Kearney and Seri like to unlock defences with passes. And if you've got two of them on the pitch, then you've got you've got both of them trying to unlock defences mm. when, when you need another one to be a little bit more defensively sound. And I don't think Kearney has that in his locker. And I don't think Seri has that in his locker because they always want to go forward, which is great. You need positive players on the pitch, but it hasn't worked when they've both been on the pitch at the same time. I think they're both proficient distributors of the ball and they, they love the ball at their feet and they're so good at dealing with it. What we've seen develop in um, Seri's game in particular over the last two games is the fact that he's actually been disciplined in his defensive responsibilities, whereas Kearney doesn't have that. Kearney is somebody that, you know, typically sits behind Mitrovic and he's someone that gives the Serb the ammunition that he needs in the in the box and around vital areas to spread it to the flanks. Um, yeah, Seri's somebody that sits a little bit deeper and we've seen him become a little bit more of a, a shepherd across the midfield. 
and um, he distributes to fullbacks. He distributes everywhere. He's like a hub. Whereas you look at Kearney, he's somewhere a little bit more advanced, and he doesn't necessarily look back in that sense. He's always looking forward. It's very rarely to the side either. He's always looking to pierce the defence and put players in um, through the fullbacks, through the um, two centre halves or six centre halves. So in that sense, they are differing players, but they've still got the, the same relative quality that they like to create and they like to play. I think there's a lot been made of this comparison because we have two technical players who distribute the ball well, like you say. I don't think it's necessarily hindering to have them playing together, but I don't think they can play together with a back five. I think you could play Seri and Kearney together in a 4-4-1-1, especially we've seen that kind of developing nature in Seri's game under Ranieri where he's doing much more of the dirty work. He's, you know, putting the legs in and actually he's kind of not venturing too far forward. It's hard, you know, you're not seeing him pop up on the edge of the box. He's sort of sitting there with Chambers, you know, making it tick in the middle. And so I think that with four at the back, you probably could play them together if you can continue developing Seri in the way that he is. But to go four at the back for us now is a stretch because we've looked so much more solid. You know, I suppose long term, if you could think about it as moving us back to a four at the back system eventually, there's definitely scope to do that. And and I think that, you know, as we get more defensively compact, as we get more defensively sound, there is going to be a, a point where we go, okay, maybe we can play four at the back again. And that will allow us to use that kind of four three three again, which would or a four four one one, which would allow them both to play, I suppose, in a in a more natural role. But as long as we have the five at the back, I think it's going to be a struggle to see them mm. both accommodated at once. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's why you're seeing. I know he's had his fitness doubts, but that's why Kenny's been on the bench recently as well. You know, um, he's come on to be an impact player, as I think Ranieri trusts. Uh, Trust Sarah in the midfield to be a bit more of a you know catalyst and a, a driving force. So that's all. So Joe Sansom asked about realistic transfer targets for centre back, right back, centre <clears throat> mid, and striker. I think we've covered that. Yeah. But he also says what should be the order of priority for those three or four. So centre back, right back, centre mid, and striker. I assume that everyone agrees are the yeah, positions yeah. we basically yeah. need backup in. You know, someone else might say a, na- a more natural winger who's played in a four-three-three, but in a three-four-three before. But you know, that is kind of what it is. So let's just go with those four. What would be your order of priority, Jack? Um, well, as I said, with the one player outside the top six, I think it's a centre back, just because Adoy's just not good enough. He's fine, but he's not Premier League level. And if we had three, Reams slightly improved, and I, I can see a, a partnership with him and an. And, um, Mawson and another centre back, so priority is centre back, and because I think we have enough going forward. We, if Mitrovic was injured one week, we could put Schaller up front. He wouldn't offer much, but it would be something. Yeah, no, for me, I think I still stand by the fact it's a striker that we need. Um, although it's very evenly poised, I agree with Jack's points as well. You know, we do need a lot more depth defensively if we're going to be playing three centre halves. Um, you could argue that someone like Steven Sessegnon, who hasn't actually been given too much for an opportunity at this level, could actually file in at you know, either right or left centre-half or even central. Um, but for me, we definitely we definitely need the striker to come through the window because Luciano Vieto is someone that hasn't necessarily been mentioned recently. But 
he's such so effective behind a striker. He's not a leading man, is he? He's not the player that you expect the Mitrovic to be. He's not someone that can hold and dictate the play in the same way. So we do need someone with a lot more physicality and a little bit more dominance up top. Well, interestingly, Harry says, will we see Vieto in a Fulham show again? Yeah. Yeah. Hold him at home. <laughs> well, I suppose the other thing is to remember that he's alone. Yeah. And we can only have so many loans. Well, then, so if he doesn't fit the Ranieri system, it would make more sense to terminate it. Yeah. You I mean, so. I wouldn't be surprised if we terminate the loans of Fossimens and Vieto and brought in two loans. It would just make sense because they're not getting... I mean, Vieto's on the bench, but Fossimens is nowhere near the team. Yeah, I think interest, it's interesting to me that Vieto's still making the bench because I think that there is a player there. And I think the Ranieri... Ranieri actually has already come out and said he likes him. He's just not sure where he fits. Mm. He's also come out today and said he can only play one of Sessignon or Scherler. So Which is an interesting point. It's kind of conclusive then, really, isn't it? You know, Vieto's looked very lightweight when he's been on the pitch and he's been bullied a little bit, but he's so, so good at picking up the ball and driving over 10, 20 yards just to, you know, push us up the pitch and be a little bit more of a piercing influence in defensively. But you're right, where does he fit in? Well, theoretically, you know, as we've you know gone to several times today, but we've talked about us trying to dominate more against Huddersfield, maybe that's the kind of game where he looks to play off Mitrovic a little bit and and if we actually were to go 3-5-2 then maybe you know you put Sessegnon in a little bit you know, or, or you have Vieto and Sessegnon off Mitrovic because they're two players that actually are technically able and you know, theoretically should be able to put the ball in the back of the net I know we haven't seen Vieto score for us yet but those of us who watched him in La Liga know that he's a very capable goal scorer and, and I think that maybe having that finishing ability as opposed to what we had on on you know against Wolves, maybe we we go into that game two nil up after. Well, at a gal farm, you know, when we visited him last time when that agonising one nil loss, he actually did very well when he's on the pitch, and he's somebody that does pick up the ball and like I say, he likes to weave in and out of the midfield and defenders, and he just makes it so difficult for them to track him. And with like you've got offensive players that can just drift out, and then they can become a little bit more of a you know incognito threat, and that's when they pounce. So. I feel he can fit in against Huddersfield, but in this system where, you know, if is is he going to be playing out on the wing? No, I wouldn't see him there at all. He yeah, but the I legs suppose for it. with wing backs, your wingers are less Inver wingers. They're inverted they're forwards. More, yeah. yeah, more inside forwards. Exactly. Yeah. Does that give an opportunity for someone like Vieto to sit off Mitrovic a little bit more? Yeah. We yeah. noticed actually in the in the kind of three four three, if you if you want to call it that that actually the wingers sort of split out. It was actually, while Sessegnon was wide or Scherler was wide, Kamara came in almost as a two. And then when Kamara was wide, Scherler was up there in a two in the first half. So that you know, theoretically should suit Vieto. That can work for Vieto, yeah. Because once again, he picks the ball up centrally, doesn't he? And he can just shepherd across whenever he needs to and uh, support um, accordingly. So he's on the bench for a reason. And as we said, I mean, Ranieri obviously likes some qualities to his game, but... It's just predominantly starting. I think that's what he's maybe pinpointing there. So we'll see. Maybe off the bench. Who knows? Yeah. All right, last question from me. Mm -hmm. Prediction, Huddersfield, go. Oh, that's tricky. I think 2-1, but Fulham 2-0 up. Consolation from Huddersfield, and we just managed to see it out. Yeah, yeah um, I, I'll actually go with 2-1, but I believe that we'll go 1-0 behind, and it will be Munio oh, to score, oddly enough. And he's been pretty shy in front of the target as well. So uh, we'll see. And then... I want to see a little bit more brawn and a little bit more heart from us. So 2-1. I'm more confident. 
Two nil Fulham, I'm going to go. Go on in. I'd love a clean sheet, honestly. That'd be nice. Right, well, that's pretty much all of it for today. So all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Jack Kelly. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to Cameron Ramsey. Pleasure as always. We will be back after the Huddersfield game, hopefully celebrating three points and Fulham very much being in the mix of safety again. That would be a, a nice way to start the new year, wouldn't it, Chris? Damn straight. Right, we have been the Fulhamish Podcast. I've been Jack Collins. Thanks for listening and we'll see you after Huddersfield. You